you sort of wonder what's going to happen in the future with, with customers. Um, because we're in a CBD where it's business and banks and, you know, if those people continue to work from home, it'll be, you know, difficult to keep up sort of having customers in the restaurant, I think. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The restrictions in place as part of the stage four lockdown in Melbourne came down with a thud. Witnessing it from afar was troubling. For those living, it's cast a grey cloud over not only their everyday, but also when the sense of normality may return. Rosa Mitchell is the owner of Rosa's Canteen in the heart of Melbourne CBD. Rosa, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Anthony. Thanks for joining us. Um, you're, in, you're in the second lockdown at the moment. How does this feel compared to the first lockdown? Can you compare the two? I can. Um, I've got to admit with the first one, um, you know, we've been working really hard and it sort of felt like a little bit of a holiday. It's sort of a bit selfish in a way, but, um, you know, I got to do all the stuff that I want to do around the house and relax a bit and, you know, sort of selfishly it was a little bit sort of sort of pleasant to be to be around the house. But this one I'm finding it's just it's been too long. Um, it means the restaurant's really only been open not, not even four months so far this year. And um, Wow. Yeah, I know. So, um, yeah, I'm really itching to, to get back and I've been trying to plan menus and I, pl- I sort of planned a spring menu, which now I don't think we're going to be able to use. So starting on a summer menu and um, hopefully I can get that one sort of going. So, you know, doing the menu, looking at all the food that I've missed out on because, um, you know, I'm a seasonal cook. So things like artichokes are almost finished and won't be able to have any artichokes in the restaurant this year. Um, just all those little things that are, you know, sort of have to wait another whole year. You mentioned that the restaurant's only been open for about four months this year. Well, you're in the centre of the CBD. If, if that, yeah. What, what was the impact? What, what's been the impact for you um, and the restaurant during this period of time? Look, sort of we're in a, we're in a pretty good position. Um, I mean, it's uh, all my staff have sort of got JobKeeper and all that. So other than, you know, one of my dishes who, who's not on JobSeeker or JobKeeper, um, everyone else is sort of being looked after. But you sort of wonder what's going to happen in the future with, with customers, um, you know, whether, whether because we're in a CBD where it's business and banks and sort of those sort of clients, you know, if those people continue to work from home, um, it'll be, you know, difficult to keep up sort of having customers in the restaurant, I think. So um, because there's just, you know, we, we have a, an amazing clientele, a, a beautiful support of um, people that come in sort of quite regularly and you sort of get to know them and, you know, know all about them and their family and what they're doing and not doing. But if they continue to work from home once this is all over, um, it's going to be tough on the businesses, not only for myself but everyone around me. As part of the lockdown, there's also restrictions on how far you can travel and with no people in, in the city, um, you weren't able to do takeaway. Well, we started, we did it in the first lockdown, but it just wasn't enough to, you know, to sort of, you know, make enough money. And now, as it is, we just wouldn't have the clientele to come and pick it up because, you know, when you're in the city, as you say, it's five kilometres and most of the people living around us are students. So 
you know, they'd be sort of eating sort of cheaper cut, you know, cheaper type meals. Um, so for us, it just wouldn't, it just didn't work. And we don't have the facilities, you know, to have refrigerated vans and all those sorts of things, which you'd have to go out and, you know, purchase or hire and, and do deliveries. And, and it's so many people out there doing it. Um, it's, it's a tough, you know, it's very tough unless you really, you know, sort of get a good sort of distribution point where you can sell it. So just hopefully it's all over and we'll just keep our clients and, you know, go back to, to where we were. As part of the travel restrictions, you haven't been able to get to the farm. Um, how have you, how have you felt about that? Well, if we, unfortunately, because we can't go up, other than, you know, sort of having overgrown grass, um, we won't be able to actually plant um, the veggies for, for next year because we sort of, you would be starting to prepare the ground now and sort of starting to get your seedlings going. So, you know, we don't want to do the wrong thing and go up there when there's restrictions. But, um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a tough year. I don't think we'll be having um, much in the way of veggies, you know, maybe something we can plant later on. But um, but for me, the other thing is, you know, fire risk. So we may have to get some sort of permit to go up and cut the grass, you know, ready for – because if it gets out of sort of um, out of whack, it's just going to be, you know, a fire hazard. So we have to do something and go up. But, you know, you want to do the right thing. You don't want to do the wrong thing and, you know, go there when you can't. But at the same time, you sort of – you have a, a property and sort of um, – you know, sort of a fire sort of season coming up that you want to make sure that it's all safe. You mentioned um, some concerns about reopening and whether or not the clientele will be in the city and workers returning to the city. How do you, how do you feel about restaurants given what just happened and um, moving forward, the sort of restaurants that will thrive in a post-COVID world? It's going to be a tough – I think a lot of restaurants are not going to be able to come out of this. Um, we're in a position that I think we, we, we're okay. We, we're going to be able to sort of get there. And as I said, we have a very loyal clientele, but we may have to perhaps, as well as being open, we may have to offer takeaway as well to add a little bit more to the business because um, – you know, maybe people that sort of don't want to, you know, maybe are working during the day or have to go into the office might be able to come and collect some sort of takeaway. So we're, we're looking at that as well. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be tough for a lot of businesses to come out of this. I know early on you were a hairdresser and you moved into the hospitality industry. How did, how did that start happen? Well, I mean, food's always been my passion, I think, since I was about nine years old. Um, you know, my mum is one of 11 children, so, and I'm the eldest of 34 grandchildren. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and we're a large family. And so, um, you know, I was around, and it was five years before, before the next grandchild came along in, in the family. So, you know, I had a lot to do with my grandmother and, and you know, my parents were immigrants and they had to work. So at nine years of age, I used to look after my my little brothers, my three little brothers and, um, take them to school and sort of come home from school and, you know, sort of cook meals and try and cook meals for mum. Not at nine, though, a little bit older. And um, so, yeah, and food was always my passion to the point that even even though I was Italian and I, I looked at all the Italian sort of food, I used to like looking at magazines and sort of experiencing new things, which I always said to my mum, you know, can I try this? Can I try that? You know, one of my favourite things my dad used to love was um, shepherd's pie, believe it or not. And, um 
and he was a pr pretty fussy eater. But one of my neighbours made us a shepherd's pie once and he thought it was fantastic. So um, yeah, I used to make that for Dad as well. So we um, – uh, yeah, so that's how, how it started. But then um, as I got older, we became, um, you know, got married. Um, we belonged to, we were sort of founding members of Slow Food in Melbourne. So in those days, you got to meet quite famous chefs that are, that are famous chefs now. But in those days, we're sort of starting out. So um, yeah, we used to get together and have amazing functions and and I always used to cook because that's what I always did. And, you know, people would experience my Sicilian food, which was sort of not really that common then. No one really knew much about Sicilian food. And then um, I became quite good friends with Brigida Hafner and um, her and James Broadway were going to open a, the Enoteca in um, Gertrude Street, which unfortunately um, is closing down, unfortunately, through, the, through all this. And, um, and I did a, a beautiful um, function in Tasmania with her. I asked if I could go along and help and I think I just got hooked. And when we came back, I said, am I allowed to come and work for you? And she said, really? And I said, yeah. So I was supposed to work a couple of days a week and I ended up being daytime manager and was there for a couple of years. And then um, I left there and I then got introduced to Con Christopolis and the rest is, you know, history. So Con Christopolis um, gave me the journal canteen, which was fantastic. I love it. I still miss it. I, I loved it. I loved the, the idea that I just cooked whatever I wanted on the day and then people, you know, have a blackboard menu outside and people would just see what was on offer on that day. And it was always, you know, antipasto, a pasta main meal and a bit of dessert and that was it. And it was a set price and it was fun. It was great. Um, and then um, from there I um, went and worked and Peter Bartholomew's um, offered me a, a restaurant, which is the Rose's Kitchen, and so I started there and then we opened Canteen and there I am. Well, you briefly touched uh, on your Sicilian background, but could you tell us about Sicilian food? What, mm. what makes it so different because the, there's so many regions in Italy and the food is so different from region to region. But even in Sicily, the food is quite different from <laughs> region to region. Like you do you do the East Coast, which has got the Greek influence and the Greek, uh, sorry, the East, the, sorry, the East Coast, that's right, is, um, you know, sort of Greek influenced and there's the citrus, the oregano, the anchovies and it's, um, and then you go to the West and it's um, couscous and saffron and currants and pine nuts and you get the sweet and sour and yeah but as growing up you know we never ate any of the food that was sort of you know like couscous and that in my family was never we never had it it's something I explored later on but um yeah so it's very very different and each little region has their own version of you know focaccias and sfincione and pizza and it could be you know only a sort of a distance of about 30 kilometres and it can be quite a different dish. And, you know, it will say, you know, the such and such from Ragusa or the such and such from Catania or Agrigento and, yeah, it's quite varied. And so the influence in Sicily is amazing. It's, you know, the all sorts, you know, the Arabic influence, the French, the Greeks, it just goes on and on. And every little, even the Spanish. And so every little, per, every person that's come and sort of invaded and, come to Sicily has left a mark on their food. So, and it's interesting that they didn't sort of go up to the rest of Italy. It was more sort of Sicily. And um, and I think that's where all the influence from all the different um, cultures came and, and made the food quite unique. 
Um, you know, when you look at our Grodolce, which is just fantastic, I love it, it's one of my favourite things, you know, which is this sweet and sour, which you think, well, you know, wh where did that come from? And of course, it's a, an Arabic influence. How does that background influence the food that you do at Rose's Canteen? How do you approach your interpretation of that cuisine? Well, as I say, I grew up mainly sort of eating just, you know, the, the basic food that we sort of always grew up and, you know, always ate what's your father's favourite dishes and, and so on. So when I started to explore, um, even, you know, well before I was in hospitality and I, I would look at different dishes and, and sort of – and I'd see all the – and I just wanted to try them all the time. So I now in the restaurant try and do – I mean seasonally, of course, I try and do – a little bit of everything and, and hopefully introduce people to things that they've never had before, like an agrodolce with rabbit or, you know, with pumpkin and and um, and I love I love going back to Sicily and finding new dishes. And one of my life's dreams is to actually find lost recipes in Sicily, which apparently there's quite a lot. Um and even when I wrote my uh, my cookbook, um, I would get people coming to to the restaurant and saying you know, in tears practically saying, oh, my goodness, you know, this particular recipe was lost in our family. We haven't had it since my nonna passed away and you've brought it back for us. And, you know, people write to me constantly and say, you know, we cook this dish all the time. You know, we had it as children, didn't have it, now we're having it. And they sort of say, you know, how grateful they are that I wrote the book. And, you know, in my, in my first cookbook it was mainly just things that, we grew up with or that were quite traditional Sicilian but things a few things were things that I grew up with that you know were no longer sort of in a lot of um, homes especially wild food. You mentioned that you'd like to cook with the seasons um, given the society that we're in and there's lots of um, produce uh, available all the time how challenging is that these days for you to get access to quality well, it's easy because if it's in season, it's going to be of the best quality. Um, so I find it's – what I find difficult is, is when customers come in and say, you know, why don't you have eggplant on the menu? And you say to them, well, you know, it's out of season. They go, but you can buy, you know, buy it in the shops. Well, you have to explain to them it's coming from Queensland and it's probably not really it, true to its flavour because it's often – and there's a difference between cooking eggplant in the summer and cooking eggplant in the winter. I find when – you cook eggplant in the winter because it's been probably grown in a hothouse with excess water. It's very, very soft. It often breaks down. Whereas in the season, it's height of its season, it's um, it's much easier to cook and has more flavour. And it's the same with any vegetable, whether it be fennel. Like I only use fennel at this time of the year in the restaurant because it's delicious, it's tender. But, you know, when you buy baby fennel in the middle of summer, people say, oh, I don't really like fennel. It's it's quite strong, the baby fennel that you buy out of season. It's also quite fibrous. So you don't actually get that pleasure of eating it, you know, in its in its proper taste. And I think that's really important. So um, I'm very strict with season, very, very strict. And um, I had a waiter that worked for me once and he go, why haven't you got eggplant on the menu? You know, where's the parmigiana, you know, eggplant. And I'd say, but it's not in season. But, you know, he could never understand why I didn't do it. And I think the other thing that I love about it I love 
waiting for that, whether whatever it be, whether it be fennel or artichokes. I love that anticipation of saying, oh, I can't wait. You know, and it makes you appreciate it more when you do eat it. So I wait 12 months before I eat artichokes or asparagus. I never buy asparagus out of season, even though it's um, available all year round. And um, with anything, with anything, you know, I, I just love. The only thing probably sometimes is fruit that's a bit more challenging because it's not really much in the way of fruit in, in the winter uh, or even spring. Oh, there's a little bit in the spring, but, um, but I do a lot with citrus in the, in the winter, like, you know, fennel, anchovies and uh, blood orange salad. You know, what, what more? You know, it's delicious. And I use it a lot in flavouring of, um, you know, maybe chicken and, yeah. Your restaurant is all about abundance and generosity and that warm sort of sense of hospitality. What does it take to deliver that in a restaurant? Well, I think I treat my restaurant as if you were coming to my place for dinner or lunch. Um, I like to think, you know, that you go home and you feel quite full, as most Italians and, you know, like to think that, you you know, you've, you, you don't want to come in, you know, I often hear people saying, oh, you know, we went to such and such and had to buy a hamburger on the way home. You wouldn't buy a hamburger once you've eaten it at my restaurant or my home to be to, for that fact. So, you know, it's just nice to think that people can come in and have a bowl of pasta and nothing else because that is enough on your plate. So our servings are quite large compared to a lot of um, a lot of restaurants. But that's – and because I haven't had the training of a chef, so to speak, um, I am a home cook. You know, there's, there's no doubt about it. I am a home cook that's, you know, done very well. And so – I guess I, I still treat it like that. I go out in my apron and talk to my customers and, you know, I've even had customers say, oh, when are you going to make such and such? And I go, well, you ring me and I'll make it for you. Just give me, you know, a bit of notice. So there's a nice atmosphere in that, yeah. Um, not always though because sometimes the, uh, you know, they ask for things that are not in my repertoire. But um, but I like that because, um, you know, there's a lovely familiar familiarity with the, the customers and they love to see me in the kitchen you know um, I'm, not, I'm not that young anymore and I try and only work three days a week when we are working and um, unless my head chef goes on holidays and then I work full-time but people love to see me in the kitchen and that's the other thing is that often a lot of restaurants um, you know they have a name and you think, oh yes, you know, because people often say to me, oh, you know, to the to the waiters, is there a real Rosa? You know, if it's their first visit, and they go, yep, there she is in the kitchen, um, and they're quite surprised to have someone actually, you know, because often you have a name in a restaurant, and there's actually no person that sort of relates to that name. So it's and and it's one big family at our place, and it's really lovely. You've had all this time off just recently with the restaurant closed. How have you been spending your time? Well, I'm not cooking as much as I cooked the first time, I can tell you that much. <laughs> I cooked so much in the first thing that I put on so much weight. So um, what we're doing is, having said that, I've got the biggest pot of ragu on, um, <laughs> ready to put some things in the freezer. But um, we're walking lots, um, and, you know, a little bit of gardening here. We do have a very small garden here, but we've any spare space. We've got a few things planted. But we're trying to walk as much as we can but um, and, and researching some recipes and trying to read some books. I said I was going to catch up on some movies, but I, I haven't really seen too many movies. But, yeah, um, it's a more relaxed, you know, it's a bit relaxed this time and just looking after ourselves and making sure we're staying healthy. And as I said, we walk every day up to 5K, 6K a day, if not more. 
which is lovely, and, and experiencing and finding places I didn't know existed in my local area. So, um, yeah, it's great. And picking wild food as I go along, of course. <laughs> you mentioned earlier that you're not a trained chef, but you're a successful um, cook and restaurateur. What, what advice would you give to young people in the industry that might be disillusioned at the moment, given the circumstances? Oh, dear. I mean, it's a tough gig. I'll tell them that because my son was a chef. He started young um, and he got a little bit burnt out. I think you don't go into it unless you really have a passion for it, for a start. Don't do it because it's just something to do. Um, I mean, it's a little bit easier now because there's a lot of, um, you know, there used to be a lot of bullying and all that in kitchens, which doesn't really happen now. Well, at least I hope it doesn't happen. Um, but, yeah, if, if you really got the passion for it, yes, by, by all means do it. And, um, yeah, and just enjoy yourself, I guess. And, and I think that if they're young, they need to experience different cuisines as they go along. If, um, you know, someone is starting out uh, um, in hospitality, um, like we've had a f- couple of apprentices over the years and we, we treat them as if they're sort of just part of the family and there's no bullying and, and no sort of um, yelling at them and make sure that they enjoy their time there. But the most important thing is that as much as they love working for you, is that they have to experience other cuisines. I think it's very important. So we always say to them, you know, you might stay one year, maybe two, but you need to go on and, you know, do other cuisines rather than stay in the one place all the time because that's how, you know, as much as you can go to school and train and all that, the best um, education you get is to actually work in the restaurant and, and learn from, from your um, co-workers. A little earlier you mentioned that you were hoping to do a spring menu but it looks like it'll be a summer menu. What, what, <laughs> it'll be summer, yeah. What sort of things can we expect on the menu? What are you looking forward to cooking at that time? Um, well, you know, summer's the best time, of course. So, you know, there's eggplants, there's capsicums, there's um, all sorts of things. And, um, and of course, one of the most important is tomatoes. So I don't buy um, any commercially grown tomatoes in the restaurant. I have two suppliers that supply me, um, uh, beautiful tomatoes. And so the tomatoes probably won't come in until about late January usually. And, of course, we grow some in the restaurant and we had quite an abundance um, of tomatoes this year, but unfortunately with the lockdown we didn't get to use them in the restaurant. So, um, but I don't buy, yeah, trust tomatoes or anything like that. So I'm known for my beautiful tomatoes because we, we serve them simply most of the time and people always comment on how um, they taste like real tomatoes or, you know, how tomatoes should be. So the tomato sort of season, you know, we start roughly about late January when they first start to come in and they can go as long as, you know, May sometimes depending on the season. So, you know, it's, it's all those sort of beautiful fresh, fresh produce um, and I have an organic gentleman that I buy um, veggies from in, you know, near Dalesford called Mount Franklin Organics and he grows beautiful things. And so we go up to the farm every weekend and when we do have veggies in the garden, we pick what we have and then we go past and we pick and we collect um, our veggies from um, Flo from Mount Franklin and um, and the kids love it when I turn up on Monday morning with boxes and boxes of, you know, Sometimes we know what we have, sometimes we don't. Um, and if I've, if I've gone to a uh, farmer's market or something up there on the weekend and I see something, I'll just take it along and we just, you know, cook whatever, you know, we can with what we have. 
as well as a planned menu, of course. <laughs> when you're back you know, in the restaurant and it's open again and you've got customers coming in, what, what, what are you most looking forward to with that? Oh, I think just working, to be honest, um, and just cooking. Even though I'm cooking here at home, it's just not the same. Um, but um, And also um, I think, you know, seeing um, customers and, you know, because we've got so many regulars. We have people that actually eat every week at our restaurant or we have one gentleman that eats almost every day. Wow. So we have a lot of regulars. So um, it would be nice to see the old, you know, sort of um, faces, you know, coming back. And it seems like – well, we haven't. We haven't seen them for nearly 12 months. So, you know, it's like seeing old family back again. But um, – and just, just to cook and just, you know, because I love produce. You know, I'm, I'm really, you know, produce-driven and um, and I love to buy things like, you know, I don't buy my honey again. I buy my honey in Dalesford from a, a gentleman, a, quite an elderly gentleman, knock on his door, ring his bell and he comes out and I buy my honey and supply – you know, he supplies me all year round. Um Yes, I try and buy sort of from little producers of where I can, which is really nice. So I'm looking forward to supporting them as well. How important are those producers to you and what sort of impact have they had? Oh, they, yeah. I mean, I just love sort of finding these people because not only do they have a passion in growing or, you know, producing or the the products themselves, um, I just love cooking with you know, it's like you've you've grown them yourself, or you've made the the things yourself. So, um, you know, I just love, you know, and, and that's why people love to come to my restaurant. I think because they taste produce that is quite homegrown in a way. Um, it's you know, it's up for me. It's very important. You know, and that's why I don't have tomatoes in the restaurant any other time um, because it's it's not in season. It doesn't taste good. You only want to eat produce that tastes. Good. And for me, it's very important because my food is quite simple. You know, I don't do elaborate things. I, I don't do foams or I don't do whatever else, you know, those fancy stuff. <laughs> fancy stuff is. So for me, you know, if I do a simple pasta with just basil and tomato, you know, you can do the tomatoes and buy them, you know, rock hard from a supermarket, or you can have this amazing. Um, which I'm not going to tell you where I get my tomatoes, my other tomatoes, these amazing, um, huge, funny-looking tomatoes. They're quite massive, like, you know, you fit one in your hand. And just to have that and just simply toss it with a bit of olive oil, the difference is just, it, you know, you can't compare them because one is just full of flavour with just three ingredients. You know, I don't have to add sugar to the tomato. I don't have to add, you know, lots of different flavours to make it taste better because it's already there. The flavour is already there. And you get that flavour from produce that is good and homegrown and, you know, yeah, very important. When your restaurant opens up again, how, how are you going to celebrate that evening? <laughs> um, I'll probably put my feet up and be terribly, terribly tired because <laughs> um, I noticed the last time when I went back because, um, we you know, we we're on a reduced staff, we went back and I couldn't believe how tired I was getting my feet was so, getting so sore. But um, I will uh, hopefully if I can – hug my uh, my co-workers and my my staff give them a big hug but um I dare say that I'll come home and put my feet up and have a bit of a rest but um it's it is hard for me to work you know a full week but I love what I do I absolutely love it and um even though you know in normal times I only work three days a week sometimes I wish I could be there every day but um I want to keep going as long as possible so I'll have to try and not work too hard 
But um, yeah, it'll be lovely. I might probably make some biscuits and give them out to all my customers or something to welcome them back. Oh, wow. Well, with this period of time to reflect, has it changed you? And how will you look at this period of time in our lives? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I will be grateful for what I have uh, and be grateful that hopefully this is the one and only time that we experience um, these circumstances. I know it's one in a hundred years, but um, and I would like to think that um, you know my my children and their children don't have to go through this at all. But um, I think you know I'll just be grateful for what I have and where I am and what I do have, um, which I think is really important. And you know we don't need, um, which I think is really important. We don't need um, you know a lot of money or we don't need a lot of. Um, you know, sort of comfort things. I think as long as you've got good family around you and good food, of course, um, it should be enough. And that's what I think I'm experiencing at the moment because, you know, you're just at home, you eat, you walk, you're with – I mean, I'm lucky enough that I have my son and his girlfriend that live with us. So we, we, we do have four of us sort of in and out sort of um, of the house. So, you know, there's, there's a little bit more for us to do. But – it's just, you know, be grateful for what we have and, and, and enjoy what we do have because it can all be taken away from us. Well, Rosa, we're so honoured to have you on Deep in the Weeds. You're an absolute icon of the industry and um, we're, we're very touched for, to have your time. Um, keep in touch very much. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, very much looking forward to the summer menu um, and hopefully you can get down to Melbourne. <laughs> me too, me too. enjoy it. Um, I look forward to giving you a good bowl of pasta. Oh, wow. That's sent a shiver down my spine. I can't wait for that. Um, Take care (laughs) and thanks again. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>